everybody. Happy Friday. Welcome to the Brady Quinn Football Show. Man, we that's a lot of energy for a Friday. It's actually a Thursday as we're recording this. I'm Will Brinson. This is the Pick 6 Podcast, the daily CBS Sports NFL podcast. Reminder, you can subscribe on iTunes, rate and review, and leave a review. We love reviews. We appreciate them. More importantly than any review, however, is that next week, Super Bowl week, you, listener of this podcast, go to cbssportshq.com or cbssports.com slash live at noon Eastern every day, Monday through Friday, and watch the Pick 6 Rundown on CBS Sports HQ. It's an hour-long live streaming breakdown with guests, interviews, fun chatter, et cetera, et cetera. I need your support. We need your support. Let's go be, let's go make podcasts great again or something. Right, Brady Quinn? <laughs> or something like that. Whatever catchphrase you want to use, uh, go check it out. It's going to be a ton of fun. We're going to have some great access to a lot of, you know, a lot of athletes, a lot of guys floating around, you know, getting ready to do their appearances and promos, but also talking to Super Bowl and you get to, you get to have a lot of fun. That's the bottom line. Yeah. And there's, there's actually an entire, like, I've seen the schedule for HQ and I'm sure you have too, cause you're a big part of it. Um, and, uh, it looks like it's going to be a blast. There's going to be a big set, a lot of cool, uh, stuff. So if you're listening to this and you like this podcast, then you will like what we're putting on, um, the old internet television and we need, you to go check it out. I need that we big numbers. Got to do big numbers, huge numbers, um, or just entertaining. Whatever, either way. Uh, Otherwise, we'll, we'll all get fired. If yeah, that's one right. Or the other. Otherwise, right. we'll all get fired. Maybe right. not immediately, and maybe one by one. It's not going to be some huge mass group firing, but right. yeah. Otherwise, we're all screwed pretty much. Okay, let's. Uh, we I played this game with uh, John Breach earlier this week, but let's say we're up on the top of the Mercedes-Benz Superdome, and there's an unnamed CBS executive. And it's you, me, and an 8K camera. Who is the first person throw? Who's the first thing thrown off by the executive? Who is the last thing thrown off by the executive? I don't even understand the question. First off, why are we even playing this game? What the hell is an 8K camera? <laughs> I mean, I've never even heard of that. I don't, I've heard of like a 4K TV. Well, what is an 8K camera? Well, you know what a 4K, t- you know, 4K TV is badass, right? Badass. Well, what do you, what do you think? You think an 8K camera is half as badass or twice as badass? Probably twice as good as TV, but I don't understand why we've got a camera that can shoot something in 8K, but we've got only TVs that can only show in 4K. Doesn't it seem like we're missing something there? Yeah, it's, well, the Super Bowl is being shot in 8K, and I don't know if you can get an 8K TV, but if you can, let's just say these 8K, 8K cameras are pretty valuable, pretty expensive. Okay. Um, I, yeah. My guess is that I'm the first thing being thrown off, uh, followed by you, followed by the 8K camera. But who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe it's 8K the, camera. The, to your point, the 8K camera is probably last. All right, <laughs> that, that's, that's probably the last thing to go. But yeah, you're you're definitely first. I don't even know if that's debatable. No well, uh, here's the thing, though. I I'm, mean, I'm. Pro- the, well, here, here's the other thing: is like, is there any? Is there? Because there's an executive up there too, right? Yes. I mean, you think I'm going to let an executive throw me off? Like, <laughs> you, 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 and I, you and I could throw the exec off and then throw the camera on top of him and then just hang out uh, on the top of the, the Superdome. 
And yeah, so, that, would, that would be a way better, way better solution to this whole deal is, is we just end up still being friends and then we just get rid of the executive and get rid of the AK camera. I like it. Um, okay, have you... Or, or even better, get rid of, get rid of the executive, <laughs> keep the camera, we'll go sell that somewhere, and we'll just hang out. We'll, we'll, we'll drive a few beers with the additional money we made from selling the camera. See, Brady, that was, it was a trick question all along and you solved it. Way to go. Uh, let's talk about some football instead of throwing each other off the Mercedes-Benz Superdome, which is, for whatever reason, I think... Thing I have. Have you read the Seth Wickersham article uh, on the Cleveland Browns that came out on Thursday morning? It's okay if you have it because it came out like two hours before we recorded this, and it's really long. <laughs> no, I have not. And and there's a couple things I'm a little bit leery of. Seth Wickersham, he's a tremendous writer. Also, the guy who pretty much predicted the demise of the New England Patriots like two or three years ago. Whoops. And all they've done is win one of two Super Bowls that have been have now have a chance of winning two of the last two. Yeah. yeah. Seth Wickersham, a.k.a. He, he's a really good writer, really good dude, but um, a.k.a. the guy who galvanized the Patriots for another couple Super Bowls. <laughs> basically, basically helped motivate them and Tom Brady to continue to go back to the Super Bowls time and time again. But, yeah, no, 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 the Patriots are falling apart. That's right, yeah, they're definitely falling apart. There's, there's all these infighting and everything else. Uh, yeah, they, no, they've got a lot of issues, apparently. Even though they're just going to another Super Bowl once again. All right. Well, this is, I don't, like, I don't, I haven't read the entire thing, but I just have to point this out because this is the most amazing thing ever. This is the equivalent of throwing an executive off the Superdome, uh, or the, the Mercedes Benz, uh, dome, whatever it is. So according, this is Wickersham I'm reading now. So according to people briefed on the meeting on October 29th, Haslam, that's Jimmy Haslam, the Browns owner, and general manager John Dorsey entered Jackson, that's Hugh Jackson, Hugh Jackson's office and told him the team was going to move in a different direction. Jackson asked why he was being fired. The team quit on you, Dorsey replied. At the time, four of the eight Browns games had gone to overtime. Get the F out of my office, Jackson replied. <laughs> so it's like they went in to, they went in to fire Hugh Jackson and he told him to get the F out of his office. It's, it's unbelievable. Like the two people he di- directly reports to, they're like, Hey, Hugh, you're fired. He's like, get the F out. I mean, that takes some brass stones to do that. And I just want to applaud Hugh Jackson for, for being just that amazing. Cash this because supposedly, and I had heard because back when they had hired John Dorsey and brought him on board, I had heard from a local B writer who had it on good authority that Hugh Jackson was a part of that process in helping to bring John Dorsey there. So it's crazy to think that, that the tides turned that quickly in Cleveland where Hugh ended up losing out on having the support of ownership, which again, this is an ownership group that supported him through one win in two seasons. Yeah. So, I'm not sure how they had so much support for him or why would they, they would even make him a part of the process and who the next general manager would be and then cut ties so quickly. It's like you might as well just fired him before the season even started, started fresh, started new, and not had to go through the hassle of everything they did with Hugh Jackson being fired and Todd Haley. Uh, but I do love the balls of Hugh Jackson to get out of his office for like the next 24 hours where it's technically probably still his. Yeah, he's like, get out of my office. It's like, you work for me. What do you mean? Get out of your office. Turn your key, Mara. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, it, yeah, it is, it, but I think it does speak to like John Dor, I mean, not John Dorsey, uh, Jimmy Haslam's just, neck deep involvement in the football process there that he's willing to listen. And it's clear that when the Browns started being competitive with the roster that Dorsey put together, but also still losing games that they should have won, that Dorsey was able to get in Haslam's ear and be like, look, bro, I told you, Hugh Jackson's a clown. 
I, we can win with this roster. Let me pick the next coach, et cetera, et cetera. And, and now it's going to be Freddie Kitchens, and I'm excited for Freddie Kitchens. Um, more recent news, though. Um, do uh, what were your th- what were your thoughts? And we'll have time to. I don't want to dive into the Super Bowl on a Friday because we'll have time to talk about that all next week. Yeah. Um, yeah. What were your thoughts coming out of the championship games with respect to? Do we need? All right, first of all, should we change the overtime rules? I don't think so. I mean, the hard thing is, no matter how you go about doing it, um, you almost provide an advantage one way or another. So everyone wants to make the argument of each team should get to touch the football once, right? And so the counter to that is, okay, let's say each team does get to. And we all know in the case of a field goal, they've done away with the sudden death aspect where any score first wins. So if it's a field goal, they get the chance. Uh, to that match, kind of play it out, right? If it's a touchdown, game's over. So people are like, oh, I'm upset about that. Like, wouldn't you love to see Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs get a chance to respond to the New England Patriots? Well, yeah, sure. But so w- what happens now if they drive down the field and then t- score a touchdown and go for a two-point conversion, they end the game right there? Like, it then becomes an unfair advantage if you lose the coin toss um, and mm-hmm. or let's say you win and maybe you defer. Maybe you do kick off first. Because you want to give them the football first, anticipating that they may score. And if they do score, then you know how many points you need to score in order to win. Very similar to the college football way of doing it because, you know, again, whoever gets the ball first there, the, the team, you know, gets to basically wait and see how their defense performed in the red zone. Sure. And then they get to determine how aggressive they want to be on offense in order to score and try to win the game. So no matter how you end up cutting it, like it's, it's never going to be equitable to both sides and, and straight down the middle. So I think you, you've you've got a system now that works. It's not that often that you know you you end up seeing a team get the coin toss, drive right down the field, and score a touchdown. I know it, it obviously ended up impacting the AFC Championship game, but the NFC Championship game would be an example of that not working out. So I don't think it needs to be changed. I actually, if you're going to change the overtime rules um, at, at any point in time in the NFL season, do it in the regular season. Stop dealing with ties and stop hiding behind this veil of it being about player safety. Like, that is it, – it's so stupid. It, it, it doesn't matter. I don't know why they keep saying that. Players would want to play until they win the game. No one wants to come off that field with a tire, uh, tie, regardless of how tired they are, how banged up they are. These players – it's, it's the NFL. This is the ultimate, you know, ultimate league of competitiveness between players who want to figure out who wins or loses. And, and I hate how that then in factors into the end of the season – in this odd, variable of ways and looking at win-loss records, et cetera. So that, that's the only change I would really like to see uh, is just making it so you find a winner in the regular season, too, and you play as long as you need to until you find that winner. Yeah, I know. It's like, hey, we can't have these guys playing an extra 15 minutes. Uh, player safety. Oh, by the way, you're scheduled for next Thursday, so if you could go ahead and hop onto uh, Fox, uh, you know, hop on cool. and, and play in four days, that'd be great. Thanks. I mean, like, Well, and think, yeah. think about this. Like you tell me, where where where's there more parity? Is it in the regular season or the postseason? Right, as far as teams that are more evenly matched, and most likely, if they're going to go to overtime, probably going to take that game uh, like into additional minutes. Right, right. Probably probably in the playoffs. Yeah, because those teams are the best of the best. Right, and and so now you're talking about players who've played a 16 game schedule, who now played even more games going into the postseason, and and you're talking about player safety, like. You don't think they're banged up and just trying to make it through the season at this point in time and make it through this game, depending on how banged up they are. Like it's just the, the logic behind it and trying to use 
player safety as the veil in order to make that change in the first place to cut it down to 10 minutes never made any sense to me in the first place. All right, well, let me ask you this. Um, on, on, the, uh, on the Andy Reid thing and on, and on trying to win games, were you surprised that Andy Reid did not take a shot into the end zone, a second shot into the end zone with 11 seconds left? Or did you like the idea that he said, okay, you know what, if, if we lose it here – it's just it's just the most crippling thing in the world. I'm just going to take the field goal and try to get to overtime. Did you? What did you think about that decision there? Yeah, I think the risk reward, uh, it's far, the risk far away the, the reward of trying to throw it in the end zone. Because um, again, if you would have told Andy Reid before the game, hey, uh, you're going to be taught, you know, obviously going into overtime side uh, and with a chance to have a coin toss to get the ball and go win the game, would you take those odds of, of winning at home? He probably would have said, yeah, I'll take that. And, you know, unfortunately, it didn't work out. You know, they lost the coin toss. New England drives down the field. They can't stop them on multiple third and longs. And, and the rest is history. So I think he would have taken those odds. You know, for everyone who wants them to take a shot, it's like, yeah, that's great until you've got a quarterback who likes to extend plays, who has a history of potentially throwing into some traffic or, or you know, even though he, as much as he makes plays, you also don't want him to make that mistake that loses you the game in that moment. That's typically how New England uh, – that's why they've been so successful. They, they get teams to make that decision. They capitalize off that mistake, and, and you lost the game more so than they won the game. So, you know, it didn't, it didn't really equate to the, you know, the reward for the risk. I just think it's a low percentage chance of you getting in. The chance of, I don't know, maybe a bad shotgun snap, uh, you know, a, a sack or a strip sack, something that ends the game in that moment. Uh, was was probably greater or more likely than you making a play to go win the football game in that instance. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I mean, you have a fifty percent chance of winning in overtime if you get the. I mean, yeah, fifty percent chance of getting the ball anyway, and, and feeling like you're going to win. I I feel like if the Chiefs had gotten the ball in overtime, they're scoring a touchdown. Felt just felt the, just felt like whoever won the coin toss was going to come away with the W. Was going to win the game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you know, but. But but I felt that way about the NFC Championship game too. Oh, well, and that, and that but, ended up not being the case. Well, the, the NFC Championship game is a great like. That's what's so weird about this overtime debate is that people are like, "This is garbage. You have to change overtime. You can't let not everybody." It's like, well, you just saw it work in the NFC. Like it just worked fine. Like right. the, like the Rams well, made it play. And yeah. And there's also the, the the decision by Sean McVay to kick a field goal from where he did because it was what a 57 yarder. Yeah. Like if you miss that, it's over. If you give the ball back to Drew Brees, like. It's probably over from yeah. where they made that attempt from. So I, I do think there's there's some strategy to it too. And, and even when you decide to go for that game winning field goal, because if you miss, man, and you give a future Hall of Famer like that like 20 yards for them to have an attempt at home, um, it just you know again, I, I think it's it's not broke. We don't need to fix it. I don't, I don't know why we we tend to overreact. I mean, I, now th- what happened in the NFC Championship game and the and the reaction to that, I think is warranted. Uh, but that's a whole other story. Um, and, and by the way, uh, I believe on that first and 10 from, um, from, it was either the first and 10 or the second and 13. Uh, either way, he was, Jared Goff was throwing to Tyler Higby, but it's like the Saints almost sacked him. And if he doesn't get that ball out, they're not kicking a field goal. They're punting. Um, and the Saints are going to get another shot. I mean, it, that was, that worked the way overtime is supposed to work. If you can go get a stop. And plus, the Chiefs, Andy Reid could have called timeout. Uh, he didn't. And as a result, Bob Sutton is fired. What, what direction do you think they go, Brady, when it comes to the Kansas City defensive coordinator? And was it smart to move on from Bob Sutton, who has, who has been there since Andy Reid got there in 2013? 
Yeah, it's crazy to think that that drive in overtime may have just did it in Bob Sutton because let's just play out the scenario that the Chiefs win that game. Sure. You know, um, and it's not like it's not like they had like a great defensive performance. I mean, they were bad this year. They're 31st in yards. They were 24th in points. They were in the bottom, you know, what, dead, dead, dead last against much. the run. Yeah. Yeah, but in like every every single category with the exception of two in which they were the top ten in the regular season sacks, they were tied for first and turnovers they're eighth, which, you know, with with that offense, that'll win you a lot of football games, and it did for Kansas City. But unfortunately versus the best teams, that's a terrible formula because then teams can really control the game by running the football, moving the sticks, keeping your offense off the field, and, you know, basically how that, that game played out in the AFC Championship game. So and and, by, and by, the, by the way, I, this just occurred to me. And sorry, I just want to point this out because I, I like to realize it when I'm an idiot. Um, I point. I was like, oh, this is how the Colts are going to beat the Chiefs. This is how it's going to happen. They're going to run the ball and control the clock and keep – and like. And then I was like, all right, well, that didn't happen. The Chiefs are just going to murder everybody. And instead, the Patriots did the exact same thing. And I just want to note that I'm an idiot for not recognizing that the Patriots, with their power run game, could do the exact same thing but better of what the Colts were going to do. Thank you for letting me <laughs> point out that I'm stupid. No, it's, it's fine. Like, I think we're, we're all idiots in that respect, too. I mean, I, I thought the exact same thing with – uh, Andrew Luck and the Colts. The difference was is the New England was was a better you know better able to execute it. And I think their defense really was was the thing that stood out to me. I mean, for the large part of that game, they took away Tyree Kill. They they limited a lot of the explosiveness, and and that was the thing that stood out to me is they were able to execute that game plan better than the Colts defense could. And, and by the way, just to cap off the overtime conversation, um, look, we, we're always talking like when we went, oh, each team needs to have a possession. Well, no, they don't. Like, you, you need to value defense. You need to value special teams. And in, in this instance, the Chiefs defense couldn't get off the field. Like, bottom line, they're not a complete team. They're not a good enough team to be playing for the Super Bowl. That's why we play these games. That's why the rules are in place the way they are. And I know everyone threw up, to the stat of, you know, uh, teams that win the coin toss and the NFL win, like, 52% of the time. And, and, and in college football, teams that win the coin toss win, like, closer to 55% of the time. So if you're looking at it from a fairness standpoint – and you're trying to use the college football system as a reason to say, oh, this is what the NFL should do, so each team can touch the football once. Well, it's not as equal or fair in that case. Uh, the, the coin toss actually tends to determine the winner more so in the college than the NFL. But um, back to the D.C. conversation for Kansas City, for Casey, because it, it's tough, man. Like you're, you're this team that's on the cusp of being able to make it to a Super Bowl, maybe win a Super Bowl. And the one thing holding you back is your defense. It was glaringly obvious. I think Andy Reid wanted to make a move before. I spoke to Adam Teicher, too, this past week, and he was saying, like, they really wanted to before the season this past year. But, you know, they were already changing quarterback, um, which they felt like was a pretty big change in itself. And they didn't want to make a whole lot of wholesale changes with everything going on. So, you know, they they just basically said, let's, let's see how things pan out this next year. You know, not having Eric Berry there, I think, hurt them a little bit in the back end with just the communication, their ability to match up the same way. But bottom line, they just they, they got worse from a year ago. And I think because of that, they had to move on, regardless of how that drive went. You know, because you could put out the scenario of, you know, let's say Kansas City wins the AFC Championship, they go win the Super Bowl. How do you fire Bob Sutton? Mm-hmm. Well, you fire Bob Sutton because you look at the body of work. And if you're Andy Reid, you say, I want to be standing up here again holding a Lombardi trophy. So if that's the case, like, I can't have a defense that's going to perform this way and hope that they get better next year. I got to do something. 
So my short list, I've got four names. Uh, three are legit. One's just kind of fun to speculate about. Mm. Uh, the first is higher from within. You've got a guy, Mike Smith, who was assistant on the defensive line in 2017. They elevated to outside linebacker coach in 2018. Uh, the players love him. D Ford had a huge year this year. Justin Houston looked more back to form this year under his tutelage. The players talk about how prepared he is, how much they love playing for him. Uh, so he could be a guy that they could hire from within. Andy Reid likes to do that. And he does have some coordinating experience. You go back to his time as a co-defensive coordinator at Texas Tech. He, ha- he has had to run a defense before, but that didn't quite work out. Not saying that it means it won't this time. Um, you know how I feel about that, but <laughs> there, there's a chance that they could hire from within if that's the case. Uh, Steve Spagnuolo would be an interesting one. A lot of credibility within the NFL, longtime defensive mind, former head coach, former defensive coordinator, who's been successful in particular at, at bringing in that NASCAR package for the New York Giants, putting all four defensive ends in Brady, the game at once, putting a lot of pressure on Tom Brady. Brady. Yeah, I was going to say, Brady, I don't know if you know this or not, Steve Spagnuolo helped defeat the New England Patriots. Any chance that's just a gut reaction to like, all right, we lost, we can't beat the stinking Patriots, let's go hire the one guy who beat them, Spags. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know because their personnel is different, and you know, you, the, the difference with him is he runs a 4-3 scheme, and Kansas City currently right now is 3-4 is personnel, they're running a 3-4 scheme. Now, it's not as drastic of a change as people think. And the reason why I say that is in most three wide receiver sets, if you are a defense, you are going to align in a four down front. And, and the reason being is it's just, it's how you want to go about trying to assign a player for each gap. And you don't usually do that with a three man front. If you do, you've usually got a fourth linebacker who's on an edge somewhere, or you're crashing an inside linebacker to create that fourth guy in the rush. Um, and, and so that's why it's not – that's more of like a college perspective because pretty much everyone in the NFL, when teams go to three wide receiver sets, they go to their sub personnel and they, go to, they take out the nose guard, they put on an extra DB, and they go to a four-down front. So it's not as big of a change as people think. It's so many teams play three wide receiver sets, um, which, which basically means you're going to be playing a four-down front anyway. So I, I don't look at that as um, that being that difficult of a transition. He's a good defensive mind. It would make sense. And – he did coach under Andy Reid as a position coach back when he was with the Philadelphia Eagles. So that could make some sense. Um, another fun one's Chris Hewitt. Their weakest link was their uh, secondary. Chris Hewitt's the secondary coach for the Baltimore Ravens. They've been arguably the best secondary over the last three years. And, you know, he's, he's you know, been coaching under Don Martindale, who's very aggressive, loves to bring pressure. That could maybe make a little bit of sense, too, if Chris Hewitt came in to take over to help improve the secondary, but just also improve. Um, the outcome of, you know, maybe mixing up some of the pressures and blitzes, unlike what the Chiefs did towards the end of that game and, and, and in the overtime. And the last one, Sexy Rexy. Yeah, there might be a foot fetish there, but look, he's proven as a defensive mind. He's a good, you know, has been a head coach before, brings that kind of spirit to you. And sometimes I think when you've got a high-potent, high-powered offense, to counter that, you kind of need a defense that's, that's the same, in my mind at least, that one that takes risks and takes, you know, gambles and it's going to bring pressure from time to time. And obviously Rex could do that. So, you know, I don't know how much, how legit that is. You know, Adam Schefter threw it out there, and obviously he's a colleague of Rex Ryan right now at ESPN. So that's probably more the case than anything else. But that's kind of my, my four names on the short list. Mm, um, what uh, I want to ask you about the 3-4-4-3 four, four, three thing, because the Panthers are also talking about making a shift 
to a 3-4, which is interesting. You know, Ron Rivera ran a 3-4 in San Diego with the Chargers, but I always thought that was just basically a byproduct of Wade Phillips having the 3-4 there and then leaving to coach the Cowboys and Ron sort of taking it over. Um, he didn't take it right over after there was a, a space in between, but, um, like how much of a, how much of an impact do you think that has on a team's offseason switching that package in terms of, you know, can, like, can you look at the Chiefs and actually see Kansas City operating out of a 4-3 and, or like, or are they in nickel so much as you pointed out a minute ago that, that it doesn't really matter and you can kind of draft and, and, and sign guys? Like, uh, to me, it's, it's a little weird to, like, alright, our defense sucks. Let's totally change the, the way, the way we approach it and go to a different, like, formation and, and, I mean, I don't know, if you have a bunch of 3-4 outside linebackers, you can't just shift to a 4-3, right? No, it's not that easy, but I mean, a guy like Justin Houston is a, you know, basically an end. Now, D Ford, who's in the last year of his deal, they'll probably end up franchising him if they can't work out a long-term deal. He'd be a little bit undersized. And, and when you're concerned about that is, you know, when teams are a three, four team and they go to a four down front and you're an offense, you know, you kind of look at your chops because you say, all right, I got to tackle on a guy who's somewhere in the ballpark of 245 to 265 in today's game. And I've got a 300-pound tackle, right? That additional 40 to 60 pounds wins that battle as long as he plays with good technique, can move well enough, and put himself in the right position. So um, you end up then attacking that player because he's undersized and you feel like you can win that battle even though you're in sub-personnel or through line of super sets. So um, the, the difficulty is this. It's hard in a year's time to, A, teach the technique to those guys if they've never used it. Uh, when they are in a 3-4 front, your base 3-4 front, because your defensive ends are, your, you know, those five techniques and really your nose, like those guys are, are two gappers. So they've got to right. be responsible for, you know, holding up the offensive line from getting to the second level. Uh, and they kind of have to, they have to play with a different technique. They have different prerogatives that come along with that. So it makes it more difficult than you think. Now, there are some schemes that will claim they're a 3-4 team, but they play four down fronts. So they might have 3-4 personnel, um, and, and maybe they're, you know, knows is still a guy who two gaps from time to time, but you know, they're, they're playing a four down front. They're playing an under front basically. And, and you know, they're one gap penetrators. So, you know, there's, there's all kinds of variations to be honest with you, whether it's three, four, four, three, whatever you want to call it, you've got to be able to be flexible. You have to be able to be able to adjust. You have to be able to, to change that picture that the O-line and the quarterback are seeing and that, and that the other coaching staff seeing, so it forces them to have to deal with more. I mean, the reason why 3-4 is harder, it's easier to run against. Because if you think about a base 3-4, neither guard is yeah, going to sure. be covered. That makes sense. So yeah. you should be able to have those guys climb up on the second level and work up on the linebackers. Now, it might be harder to get to the edges at times because of the configuration, but running in between the tackles, you should be able to get that done. Uh, the reason why 3-4 became more difficult uh, for quarterbacks to deal with is because if you look at the, the configuration of it, it's harder for protection. Like, if you're a quarterback and you're looking out there, you're like, all right, I got three down linemen and then two guys on the edges. Like, there's five possible guys I could rush right now. I don't know who's coming, who's not. And there's more of these, these guys who are, like, in these 40s and 50 numbers kind of walking around. You know, I'm not sure if they're dropping into coverage or blitzing or what the case is. So it makes it more difficult. And, and that's why, like, the 3-4 – a lot of, you know, quarterbacks don't like it. It's harder and it stresses the protection a little bit more. And, you know, it makes your offensive line, it kind of splits it. Because typically if you have a three down front, you're going to have, especially if it's like, let's just say it's a five-man protection, you're an empty. If, if you've got your center covered up and both tackles, both of those guards are going to be dueling. Meaning they're looking at the player inside the box 
to their right or to their left, to the outside. And then they go look to help and then go look for other work. So you're kind of splitting your offensive lineup when that's the case. And, and then you could give a bunch of different variations in what you look like. Because if you think about it, if you only have three guys who are down and you know there's going to be a fourth or a fifth, fifth rusher, you just don't know where that rush is coming from. Right, right. Like it could be from the edge. It could be the interior guys. If it's a bunch of DBs and like a nickel or dime package, it could be coming from anywhere. So it just creates more deception for the defense and it stresses the center and the quarterback from figuring out where they're protected and where they're not. So um, the, the thing with Kansas City is they don't have that issue. They don't have issue getting pressure. You know, they, they got a lot of pressure this past year with, with the personnel that they have. So I, regardless of what they go to, I, I don't know that they're going to feel that ne- it's necessary to bring a bunch of pressure, maybe more timely. I just think they, they need to change up their coverages and change up what they're doing to be more effective and not allowing so many big plays in the passing game. Well, all right. So, but thinking about thinking about what you're saying about the pressure stuff too, it seemed like the Patriots had a pretty perfect game plan for that pressure. I mean, they basically said, "All right, that's fine. We're going to leave Gronk in. We got six offensive linemen now. Uh, you know, with him blocking like that uh, ostensibly, and we're going to have James White or whoever Rex Burkhead, whoever it is, chipping on the other edge and and basically double teaming Justin Houston and D Ford. And Tom Brady had tons of time in clean pockets in third down, right? Yeah, that, and that's part of it. Like, if you go look at that final drive, it was something that they did a little bit throughout the course of the game. That's why, you know, everyone's excited about Tony Romo predicting stuff. But to be honest with you, if you were watching closely, you know, of the of the 19, there were 13 of 19 on third down. 12 of those 19 attempts uh, were passes. And then nine of them were targeted for Julian Edelman and Rob Gronkowski. So you, you kind of had a pretty good idea of where the ball was going to. And they ran that play on third and nine to Edelman from the left. They ran the exact same play. They just flipped it, and then they ran it from the right. So, you know, based on the formation, based on the concern, because the pass rush did, um, you know, it was, it was a concern coming into it. Game plan, you know, wise, if you're a one-dimensional team and you're going against Kansas City, you've got to use a running back. You've got to use your tackles to help – or, excuse me, tight ends to help your tackles because they can't help out your interior offensive lineman when you have a rusher like Chris Jones. So uh, all that stuff was easy to see, easy to predict. And I think the frustration for Kansas City fans is, you know, if, if Tony Romo's seen it, which is fine, and that's one thing <laughs> as an analyst to talk about, but why aren't you bringing up the point of how do they stop it then? Yeah. Because that's the issue. They weren't bracketing Edelman. They weren't bracketing Grob Gronkowski. Um, instead, they were leaving them isolated, singled up in coverage. That's where I would be frustrated as a Kansas City fan is, you know, Bob Sutton didn't make any changes to go stop what the Patriots were doing, and they gave Tom Brady all day. Like, if you're going to bring pressure, bring the house, man. Bring an extra defender to force that football out quicker than Tom Brady wants to if you're just going to play, you know, one-on-one coverage, man coverage anyway. What do you need the post safety for? Mm. And and if you're not, and if you want to try to get a rush with your front four, then sit there and say, okay, we're going to make you hold on to it longer and give those guys more time by doubling those guys on the outside. So, like, the worst thing you can do in that case – so the worst thing you can do against a guy like Tom Brady is basically bring five guys – or four guys. I mean, like you bring five guys, so you're shorthanded on the back end. But if he doubles up on the protection and keeps Gronk in there, and he recognizes it, and Tom Brady's been doing this for twenty freaking years, so he's gonna recognize it, just like Tony Romo recognized it, just like you recognize it. I'm not gonna point out that you, you know, Quinn Colin Romo, not a witch, just an average guy. Um, but the uh, <laughs> that's the that's the headline for the podcast post story tomorrow. <laughs> it's like, that, that would fit in, in today's world of the news cycle, as far as what gets thrown out there. That's, that's not accurate Brady yeah Brady Brady Quinn it's the life we live yeah Brady Quinn calls Tony from the average that's how you get thrown off the the Mercedes Pinto um but the uh no I I think that you're right like that's been the story of these playoffs is to me and and this is the story of football right I mean like coaches are making adjustments I I was surprised 
Brady, that um, and I, maybe you notice it, and, and I and I missed something here, but like Sean Payton got Alvin Kamara early in the first quarter and early in the third quarter, isolated against linebackers like crazy. And then sort of went away from it, felt like. And they tried to do other stuff instead of just, like, if they're going to leave Corey Littleton on, on Alvin Kamara, just keep throwing it to Alvin Kamara. And then, like, Bob Sutton, you're getting gashed on third down by Julian Edelman. Man, d- double Julian Edelman. Put two guys on Julian Edelman. Just just stop leaving him in, co- like, single coverage. He's running right at the middle. He's wide open every time. Yeah, or, or, or do it the New England Patriots did. Did you see the, the man-to-man coverage they were playing? Yeah. So typically man-to-man coverage, right? Everyone's one-on-one. And then they've got a post-size safety. It's going to be in the middle of the field. Okay, last line of defense. Typically watching the quarterback's eyes and then going wherever he's looking. No, that is not what the Patriots did. They put that They put that dude over Tyree Kill. Now, maybe he may have started mm. in the middle of the field, but as soon as the snap of the ball went, he was running to wherever Tyree Kill was to give that player help to ensure that Tyree Kill, besides one big play in that game, didn't ruin the game for the New England Patriots. Like, hey, Bob Sutton, just look what they're doing. Like, do what the Patriots are doing. And make some sort of adjustment. But here's here's the thing is Bob Sutton's a good defensive mind. He didn't forget how to coach. Um, you know, Paul Gunther, for example, who's out in Oakland, he's a good defensive coach. Sure. Look at him when he had personnel in Cincinnati. That's that's a good defense. And he got the most out of guys like Geno Atkins. Um, but when you trade away a guy like, you know, Khalil Mack like the Raiders did, and then they didn't bring back Autry as well in the interior, all of a sudden your defense looks pretty limited. And that's what it just goes to show you as good as the pass rush was in Kansas City this year, they were very average in the back end as far as the personnel and talent. And Bob Sutton wasn't dealing with much, and I think he was doing the best he could to put together a game plan to help those guys out. Well, look, the Patriots do what they do, and and they take they took away Tyreek Hill, as you pointed out, and they took away the pass rush. So they took away the two biggest weapons on the both sides of the field. That's that's how the Patriots handle business. Uh, all right, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back and uh, and break down some other NFL stuff. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Citizen sleuths are focusing on the brutal slayings of four college kids. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. This is the start of something major. Follows online detectives as they unravel the mystery of the infamous Idaho college murders. There's plenty of places to hide a weapon. And turned it into a social media phenomenon. Where is a roommate? It is a huge night. the truth from you. Hashtag cyber sleuths. The Idaho murders now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Other NFL stuff. What a great segue to a commercial break that was for me. Um, I didn't know what I, I didn't know what we were going to talk about. Do we want to talk about the Senior Bowl? Do you want to? Well, we, or... no, we were going to talk about dude wipes because remember, remember we like had this conversation before because we both had to go, you know, take a deuce before we were going to record. And I was like, we we didn't really get into the conversation of dude wipes, but uh, I'll put it this way: I don't know why it's not like better known and not like more guys don't do it. I feel like honestly. Like, we have gum, we have mints. Like, it's a breath mint for your ass. That's what, like, wiping with a dude wipe or wet wipes essentially is. Like, why do we – like, I have I have two daughters. Sure. One that's two and a half. Why, why do we stop I, I, Why do we stop using wipes at a young stop? age? Why do we why stop? Why do we stop? Yeah. What are we doing here? It doesn't make any sense. And, like, it was reintroduced to me by a teammate at Notre Dame when, like, 
uh, he had he had some like wet wipes in his locker. I was like, "Hey man, what do you use that for?" He's like, "What do you mean?" I'm like, <laughs> my butt. Well, I mean, I I I like I was like, "Do, do you have some other use besides using when you go to the bathroom?" He said, "No, that's what they're for." I'm like, "Huh?" And I was like, "All right, well, like, kind of makes sense." And then like we had this long drawn out conversation of why do we ever stop using them if you use them for babies and all that? Like, and he was like, "Have you ever u- tried using them as an adult?" And I was like, "No." And yeah. so I went out, picked some up. Uh, next time I had to go, used it, and I was like, wow, I feel cleaner. Like, I feel like I have more confidence. Like, I can yes. kind of roam around, and I feel like I've got a little swagger to me because of the wipes. And, and like, another thing is, I feel like you can get away with, like, one or two farts where it doesn't even smell. It's like the third one until, really, it starts to smell again purely because of how clean you are with the wipes. I, I love that people are like, wait, 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 where did this conversation come from? Brady mentioned before, like, what were these guys doing before the podcast started? What on? But I'm with you 100%. Once, once, uh, my son, you know, we said like these wipes are hanging around. You're like, all right, you know, I'll take a spin. You're like, oh my God, what have I been doing my entire life using this trash paper? Like, like big, 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 big toilet paper. Has gotten a hold of this country and is trying to trying to stay in business with their cheap single ply paper that ruins your tush. That's how does single ply even exist? I mean, let's be honest. Who has had to use single ply? You know, what you end up doing you use double the amount of toilet paper, so you're essentially trying to get it to two ply. Like, you know, what I'm saying like it's so crappy, you have to use literally like a brick of single ply to make it useful. Like, otherwise. You're basically wiping your butt with your bare hands. So I don't want to talk about single ply. I don't know why it exists still. Yeah. And then there's you know toilet paper, which look for from economical from an economical sense, it's fine to use for like the grunt work. But once you really need to just to kind of the, the finishing touch, you know the the whipped cream and the cherry on top, you got to go back to the dude wipes. Yep, I'm with you. All right, so dude wipes. If you hear this, so people tweet at dude wipes and tell them we need a sponsorship from dude wipes. The Super Bowl podcast, the Pick Six podcast of the Super Bowl presented by. Dude and by Wipes. the way, by the way, uh, Pete Prisco needs them more than anyone else because he's the most full of shit. So he he's going to need those dude wipes more than anyone else. I'm glad that I now have to go back and, and bleep that out, but it's going to be funny. Um, <laughs> I don't mind. I'll bleep anything. We were allowed to cuss on this podcast. Is that not true? I don't think so. Um, the F word is definitely not allowed. Uh, a is, is ass is allowed, but that's like, you can just say ass now. Ass is just common vernacular. Um, D, I don't think we're allowed to do that. And S, I don't think, but, uh, I will err on the side of caution so as not to get either of us thrown off the, uh, the Mercedes Benz dome. It was like at the 40 minute mark. So there's, there's, there you go. Oh, I take notes during the podcast. Don't you worry. Listen to everyone back <laughs> over again. Professional. I'm a professional. Uh, okay. So the senior bowl. Is happening right now. Actually, you know what? No. Do you want to talk about the Senior Bowl, or do you want to talk about the 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 matchup between the Patriots and Rams? Let's talk about the Patriots and Rams. Uh, let's talk about. Well, I was going to say let's talk Senior Bowl quick. So a couple of things. Like I was asked today, hey, so like the Bengals haven't hired Zach Taylor yet, or they can't. He can't assemble a staff. And Brian Flores is obviously still the defensive coordinator for the Patriots, so yeah. he can't take the Miami job. And someone said, is, are they behind the other teams? Uh, and not being able to be down there in Mobile to evaluate um, the, the talent and all that. I said, well, I mean, think about it. The Patriots have been playing the Super Bowl the last three years, so uh, Bill Belichick isn't down there either. <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, neither is the other team in the Super Bowl. So the Eagles last year, obviously the Rams this year, and, and not even the Pro Bowl coaching staffs, right? Like Dallas and the Chargers aren't down there evaluating them because they're coaching the Pro Bowl. So it's not that big of a deal, uh, at least not for the coaching staffs. They're t- typically not as involved unless they're the teams coaching them. Oakland and San Francisco, which, you know, no one's going to get the type of uh, perspective and understanding of the players they're working with 
besides those two staffs. Uh, but it does hurt as far as the direction of the scouts because Zach Taylor and Brian, Brian Flores might say, this is what I'm looking for out of these players. <clears throat> this is what I want you to go do. Or even if they're assembling their, their assistants or their scouting department, there's some of these guys they may have to hang on to until after the draft, and that's where you tend to see more turnover with the scouting department. So uh, that was just kind of one thing that I thought was interesting. Someone brought up today, and I was like, all right, you know, it, I don't think it impacts it as much as a lot of people out there think. Uh, and, and the other thing you have to always keep in mind is we're making a big deal with the Senior Bowl because it's the right here and now, but free agency comes first. So the first thing really Zach Taylor and Brian Flores are going to be addressing is their own team, their own vision for what they see moving forward, what type of players they're looking for at each position, and then identifying and going through and making sure they're on the same page with the scouting department and coaching staff for free agency. And then they can start their evaluation for, for their you know, college prospects. So it's, it's not as big of a deal as a lot of people think. Yeah, I and plus, like, I mean, the Senior Bowl matters, but you can go back and watch the tape. Like, like, like you can go right. back and watch the tape, and you're right. going to get to see these guys at the Combine and interview these guys. So, you know, you want to go get that Super Bowl ring first and foremost before, you know, if you're Brian Flores. Like, if remember when uh, last year, remember Matt Patricia's defense, it's like, oh, you know, like, oh, is Matt Patricia behind? Uh, you know, like, oh, I'd be fine. He's with the Patriots. And then he goes out and gives up, like, 9,000 yards to Nick Foles. It's like, oh, God, have we made a mistake? You know, like, what you, what you, what you, what you want to do is focus on the Super Bowl, do well in the Super Bowl. That way people aren't panicked about your poor performance in the Super Bowl. Yeah, exactly. And you got both these coaches, both Zach Taylor, quarterback yeah. coach for the Rams, and then obviously uh, Brian Flores who are preparing for it. So th- that's all that matters now, and I think, if you're looking at each organization, they're fine. They've got scouting departments who are, um, you know, sitting there now in Mobile looking at their prospects, looking at some of these guys and getting basic, you know, general evaluations of them. So when these coaches do take over the job and assemble their staff, they can then talk about which guys are a fit, which guys aren't with the scheme that they want to run. Yeah. Uh, all right. So on the Super Bowl. When you look at this matchup, because I, you know, I feel like going into the weekend, this is the last podcast of the weekend, people will be downloaded on Saturday and Sunday, you know, thinking about this game. We don't want to get too far, rem- you know, we still want to keep the vibes of the, of the, of the, uh, the, you know, the Rams and Patriots. What stands out to you as the most important matchup or like, I don't know, not biggest X factor, but like, you know, is it, you know, Wade Phillips versus Tom Brady? What, what pops in your mind when you think about this matchup? Well, it's going to be the O-line for the Patriots versus the D-line for the Rams. Mm. Um, if the Patriots' offensive line can continually do what they've done this playoffs, keep Tom Brady comfortable in the pocket, keep him upright, not allow Donald and Sue and, and Dante Fowler and Brockers to um, just ramsack this game, get a bunch of pressure on Brady, a bunch of hits, you know, hurries, sacks, all that good stuff, uh, I think New England wins. I, I think I trust Tom Brady, Edelman, Gronk, James White, Chris Hogan, Dorsett, all those guys, you know, doing their part and executing at a higher level. So that's, that's, I think, where it starts and really ends for me as far as how this game will go or largely be dictated. So would you um, say the, the, game, get, the game will be won in the trenches is what you're saying? Yes, yes, which is <laughs> not fun for people on the outside because, you know, no one cares about that stuff, well, but I do. Well, and no, the next, I mean, they will care. Go ahead. The next, yeah, thing, you know, the next thing that no one else cares about that's going to matter is kicking. Like, Greg Zerloin helped get the Rams to the, the uh, Super Bowl because of some clutch kicks. He's going to probably have to have a kick to win the game in this game if the Rams want to win, and same could be said for Goskowski. So um, the kicking game is going to be huge, especially teams in general, that kind of field position battle. Uh, and then how aggressive, you know, Sean McVay could potentially be again with special teams if the Rams are behind 
or how aggressive Bill Belichick would potentially be uh, with special teams or just going for it on fourth down and not going to a special team, depending on the scenario. Because, uh, again, the, the fourth down fake by Hecker to Sam Shields in the NFC Championship game largely sparked that comeback by the Rams to win it. So special teams, to me, is going to be the thing that no one talks about. It's going to be huge, kicking in particular. And I just want to say this one last thing. Johnny Hecker does not get enough credit for the special teams play that he made in the NFC Championship game. And it wasn't the pass on fourth down mm. to continue that drive. It was the hold on the game-winning kick. It was a great hold. It's the most thankless job that there is in professional sports. People think that's the kicker because they're like, well, when he makes it, everyone's like, oh, he did his job. Not true. Because everyone's crediting Greg Zola and making a clutch kick. And when he misses, he gets all the blame. Think about a holder. If a holder messes up holding the football, <laughs> no matter what, everyone hates him for the rest of his life. Well, the races were in instead of out. It's the worst. Tony Romo. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but if, if he does his job, no one's ever thinking and say, hey, great hold. It was a great hold by Hecker on that last kick to help send him to the Super Bowl. That's a great point. Yeah, it's like if you um it's like when you make predictions before the season. If you make you know if you get the division right, the division winner right, it's like, hey, great, great job. Way to do your job. Uh, if you get it wrong, it's like no. you you clown, you know nothing. You are a loser who knows nothing. Um No, you you know what else it is? It's like uh, Uber drivers and then the delivery people, like Uber Eats when they deliver it. It's like yeah. someone who del- is delivering your food, you only, you only get on them when they forget something or the <laughs> order's wrong and they picked it up and they yeah. didn't look at the receipt. Yeah. Like you only get upset with them. You never walk away being like, you know what? That was a great delivery. Like yeah. that was, it was awesome how they got extra condiments and they had all the utensils and everything that I needed. Or like when a guy likes to pick you up, they get you to point A, point B. Like we're never appreciative of like getting there safely. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, we look at them and like, well, yeah, of course you shouldn't get an accident. You've got like a map, you know, Google Maps, like telling you where to go or ways telling you where to go to get there. So like, how could you mess it up? No. But again, much like the Uber, Uber Eats people who deliver us or the food, that's like what a holder is in the NFL. No days off. Um, okay. So do you find it amazing? Because, uh, you know, just glancing at your Wikipedia page, cause I don't have this memorized, but I know how roughly how old you are. And I know when I was watching, um, the, the page, like you were in, you were playing high school football when Tom Brady won his first Super Bowl. You went, you were a, a superstar at Notre Dame, a first round draft pick in the NFL and had a pretty long career by NFL standards. And Tom Brady still went like playing in Super Bowls. How freaking insane is that? It's nuts. And it's why, in my opinion, he's the greatest of all time, um, for how well he's playing at this point at 41 years old, still at, you know, playing at a really, really high level, still going to Super Bowls. Like someone was saying the other day, like how there was that 10 year gap where they didn't win one. Yeah. I'm like, well, what are people going to say about that? How do you consider him a dynasty? Like, Hey dude, they went to two Super Bowls in that time. Like <laughs> yeah. it's hard to get to a Super Bowl. It's hard to win a Super Bowl. Like, so, so to sit there and say, well, they had a 10 year gap. Well, yeah. Did, did they go 19 and what was it? 18 and one or whatever it was the season yeah. where they were undefeated 16 and 0. Yeah. Like are, are we all of a sudden not going to consider that as part of it? Even though they wouldn't win the Super Bowl that year, this team is a dynasty. Tom Brady's ridiculous. He's the greatest of all time. We'll never, and I will say this again, we will never see a quarterback and head coach be as successful in the NFL as we've seen from the New England Patriots. We just, we won't see this again. We won't see nine Super Bowl appearances in, what is it, 18 or 19 seasons. We won't see a team dominate a division like they have or go to the AFC Championship game as much as they have. Like, we'll never see this again. Like, people need to start appreciating this because – it will never be replicated. We'll look back on this and think, man, that was ridiculous when you consider 
free agency, the way the draft set up, um, the salary cap, like all the things that basically force parity in the NFL. And yet the New England Patriots still dominate. And, and it's, it's just remarkable. I'll go so far as to say that we will never see this in sports again. I don't think you will ever see this because the NBA has gotten to the point where no player is going to stick around a one team for, you know, the way that Michael Jordan did. I mean, if LeBron James is bouncing around, everybody's bouncing around. All right. I mean, Kevin. Yeah, but what would it be for Golden State? Like if Golden State wins this year, what is that? Is that, is that, it would be three and four years? Yeah. AKA, you know, it'd be three and four years, AKA the first four years of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Like three. Right. right. But then let's see like how they continue from there because. You know, like they, they could be on that sort of run. And, and you're, you're right. Like it's hard to replicate other sports leagues too because of how things are set up and the way, you know, free agency works out for them as well. But still, it's, it's crazy to, to think that, at least in football, uh, I mean, it was, we'll never see anything like this again. I mean, yeah. he's been to more Super Bowls himself, Tom Brady has, than every other NFL team besides his own who's been to 11. He's been to nine. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. Nine, nine Super Bowls. I, th- again, this is my, I was, I think I, this is my ninth, and I said, I said it wrong the other day, but this is my ninth, and this will be the fifth time that I've covered. So like, I mean, I've been covering the NFL for CBS for almost a full he, decade, which is insane, and Tom Brady's been to half of the Super Bowls that I have. Like, that's, it's mind boggling that he has covered, that he has been involved in half of the Super Bowls. I mean, the average lifespan of NFL players three years. Three years. Yeah. He's got a three times as many Super Bowls. Like, yeah. it's, it's absurd when you think about how hard it is to make it into the NFL, to make it as an NFL player. Like, you're talking about people who played high school football, and there's a lot of people maybe who listen that went out there and played high school but never made it to college, never could make it to the professional level. Like, he is so far surpassed it. And, and everyone's going to bring up the sixth-round grade or all that stuff, or sixth-round draft pick and all that. But, I mean – even coming out of high school, like you're a fraction of a percent to be able to then go and make it to the NFL and play more than three years, like a fraction of a percent to be able to do that. And not only has he done that, he's literally achieved like at the highest level, the greatest uh, like accomplishment that you could. And he's, he's done it what five times. Mm-hmm. And now he's going back to a ninth Super Bowl. Do you think he retires if they win this one? I don't know, man. I mean, It'd be a great way to go out, but I just get the sense that, and this kind of goes back, and again, this wasn't a knock at Seth Wickersham. It's just like you wrote a story about how this was becoming the demise of the team and blah, 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 and literally they've gone to a Super Bowl every single year since the article <laughs> came out. So it, it, it's like absurd. Um, but it, if he could keep the same schedule where he's able to spend the off seasons with his family and then still able to go out there and do this and play the way he has, like I don't, I don't see why you would stop at this point. I mean, and this, and then on paper, this team isn't that talented. I mean, they could continue to make additions to this team and and actually help him out and give him more help, um, and and you know, and be able to make it back. You know, if you look at the AFC East, I mean, I think Buffalo will be better. The Jets will probably be better um, with their quarterback play and all that. Who knows what the Dolphins will be? But still, like these are quarterbacks going in their second year. Like they're not going to be that much better. Like they should be able to win the AFC East. And if you look at the, the AFC, you know, picture, like outside of maybe Pittsburgh, if they can get their act together, and obviously Kansas City, that's always going to be a contender now with the way Mahomes and Reed are. But you know, I don't know that they're, they're going to be able to replicate what they did this past year. It's like you'd have to consider them as being a top, you know, yeah. one of the top three teams every single year. So it's, yeah, why not? Why wouldn't he come back if they could do this again? He's 42 and he's feeling all right. Uh, and, and look, by the way, Tom Brady is signed through 2019. 
his 42-year-old season next year, he signed through it, and he makes $27 million in, in 2019, $14 million in base salary, $7 million in signing bonus, um, an additional $5 million through restructure, and $1 million through a roster bonus. So I understand that Tom Brady doesn't need $27 million because he's married to a bill, I think, of, I mean, like, he and Giselle are multi-billionaires at this point. They have to be, right? They're, they're... Well, he's, he's made a bunch in his life. Uh, that's part of it. But, yeah, she makes a ton, too. Sure. So even though $27 million, it's, it's, it's always tough to turn down. I mean, I can't remember the last time someone offered me that much uh, money. But, I mean, yeah, me either, me either. I'm, I'm sure that's, that's, that's tough to turn down. But You know, we, you know, uh, you know, we, you know, you know, we were looking at, um, I don't, you didn't, probably didn't hear the podcast. Who, I, who was I talking to last week? But we were looking, we were trying to like figure out like salaries, all time, uh, quarterback salaries, like who'd made the most. Cause it's like Eli, it's the Mannings and Drew Brees with Tom Cotton as their agent. But you were, you were on there. You were like a top, uh, you were, you were up there. I was pretty impressed. Up there for what? I mean, you were like, you were like on the list of, of like, of like most career earnings for quarterbacks. I don't know what how that's possible. Maybe my first <laughs> like, year was pretty good. After that, it wasn't a problem. You're like, hold on, let me check um, my bank account real quick. Um, no, yeah, no. <laughs> I was going to wife who likes to spend money, so maybe they didn't deplete some of those assets. Well, they don't. Uh, they don't count what you, they don't count but, what's gone out since you since you. Yeah, they don't count that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just what came um, in. No, but, but like, but that's a whole other conversation because like Patrick Mahomes is going to probably make back oh no he was already uh, he's already could, yeah he's already well he's already passed you i think just <laughs> for you well yeah easily. well just with being with like where he's taking number 10 overall yep. uh and then beyond that like when he gets his next deal that's going to be ridiculous and, and people are concerned about it handicapping the team like i was just talking to um i'm, I'm trying to think it was we, we had a conversation with rich mckay uh president ceo of the Atlanta falcons and this kind of came up on a side conversation but you know if the cap keeps going up the way it is it really doesn't handicap your team as much as you think. If you want to buy 10 million bucks a year, 12 million bucks a year, whatever it is, um, you know, you're as a team, you're looking at saying like, Oh, we, we could be cash trapped. We have no money. Oh, boom. There's 10 million, 12 million bucks I've got to, to then spend all of a sudden because the salary cap increases. So at the rate it's going on, you'd have to think that if like you're a Chiefs fan, like you keep hearing, Oh, Patrick Mahomes looks at two, a $200 million deal or they might sign him to one. Like don't panic because. The salary cap at that point may be $200 million just for an individual season uh, here in a couple of years with the way it's, it's skyrocketing and continues to go up. So um, that, that's kind of a misnomer, at least in my mind, as far as like what we're compensating quarterbacks with and, and then it handicapping a team's roster. Uh, it does help, though, to have that quarterback on the uh, the rookie deal, which is, uh, which is pretty nice because that rookie deal is dirt cheap. And it is interesting that, you know, you had – you know, what, uh, how many of the, the four or five? Let's see, the Rams, yes. Of course, they made it to the final, they, they were the final four. Uh, Chiefs, Patriots, and Saints didn't have it. Saints, it's, it's interesting though, right? Like, the old and new, old versus new, like two teams that had the rookie quarterback deal and then two teams that had, uh, the old veteran deal. Hilarious, I think, that two, the two teams in the Super Bowl both drafted a, a running back in the first round. That's the, that's right. the, that's and, a real and, story. Yeah, they, they they get flack for doing that. Pete Prisco in particular says they grow on trees. And maybe that's the case. Look, my thing is, I, I think drafting a quarterback in the first round, there's, there's no, to me, there's no issue with it, especially if you're going to use the guy and, and get all the wear and tear out of it like, for what you're paying him. It's, to me, it's paying a guy that then goes to the free agency, like Mark Ingram, free agent this year, right? So the Saints have to make a decision. If I'm Mark Ingram, like, I would probably take less to say in New Orleans because, A, you don't have to, you know, carry all, have all the wear and tear and take all the carries. Because uh, you've got Kamara there, and then B, you know you're going to be successful. You're, you're still having chances to win a Super Bowl while Drew Brees and Sean Payton are there. 
Uh, and, and I don't know what the market's going to be. Like, if you look at some of the older running backs, like, yes, Adrian Peterson had a resurgence, but, you know, when you look at a guy like Philip Lindsay, who's an undrafted college free agent that comes in and makes the Pro Bowl as a rookie, it doesn't make a good case for you. So why would people want to invest a ton of money into it? So uh, that's a whole separate conversation for another time. But I just – I find it interesting that not only one, you know, people making the case for why you shouldn't draft in the first round, but these are two examples why you can and you can still be successful – and it doesn't necessarily mean you have to sign this guy to some huge deal on a second deal or have to sign him at all. You just go back to the draft and get another one. That's right. All right. Uh, you got stuff to do. I got stuff to do. We got to, got to get out of here. We got to get down to Atlanta. I get some more dude wipes. That's right. Don't forget to bring yours, by the way. I, Don't forget to bring your dude wipes down to Atlanta. I will bring, uh, can I just bring like some, uh, what are the kids wipes? Can I just bring, I might just bring the, the Pampers kids wipes. I mean, that's Pampers for uh, like, well, that, you better make sure they're flushable though. Otherwise we could have a real, uh, we had crappy ex- situation. <laughs> on we had an explosion in Raleigh recently, like up north of my house. It was like the, the sewer busted because of too many wipes. Um, maybe don't write flushable wipes on it. And now there's a truck that like the Raleigh, like, uh, uh, city, like the city sewage truck that rolls around that like says like, do not flush wipes. Um, so there you are go. they not flushable though? I don't get it. Like, don't they make them where it's like a biodegradable material though? Or is I that think, not the case? I think they're lying. It's like the fat free yogurt in Seinfeld. You know, it's like, ah, it's fat free yogurt. Don't worry about it. Just eat it away. Well, it is technically fat free, but it just has a lot of other stuff like a ton of sugar. Right, right, right. But it's like, it's like wheat thins. It's like, it's like, oh, they're thin. How great. That's great for it. You know, it's like, <laughs> like thin, like thin crisp. It's like, oh, they're thin. Well, that's fine. It's like, no, it doesn't matter. They're just, just a smaller, you're just eating, you're just eating slightly less because you're slightly thinner. All right, let's get the hell out of here. We'll uh, we'll talk in Atlanta. We'll hang out. You go down Sunday? Uh, Monday. I'm going to do radio Sunday night. Okay. Well, uh, I will see you on Monday. Brady Quinn, Travel Safe. Uh, follow him on Twitter at 3RD underscore goal. Watch him on CBS Sports HQ. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. Talk to you, brother.